0: Good morning, church. Why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, where we will spend our time this morning. And as you do so, uh, I'd like to open up our time with a question for you to consider. What are your expectations for today? When you woke up this morning, what expectations did you have? For many, if, if not most, this morning has been a normal one. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary has occurred, nothing out of our typical routine for a Sunday morning. I would venture to say that that exactly was our expectation. We likely expected to wake up, come to this place, uh, spend some time visiting with some friends, sing a couple songs, Listen to the Word of God proclaimed, hoping to hear something challenging, encouraging. Sing a couple more songs, and then go eat. My prayer over the past couple days specifically has been that your expectations would be interrupted today. That your routine would be broken by the powerful and transformational spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what we will see this morning is that God, in His own sovereign will, can do exactly that if He so chooses. So let's read our passage. We have a whole chapter to look at here, but it's important to see the first half of that as it gives way to the second half, as we see a miracle followed with a message. So I'm going to spend time reading through the whole chapter, and then we will pray for the Spirit to give us the ability to understand and apply the word that we see here. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when, we, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning echoing the songs of praise that we just sang. We desire to see your son Jesus lifted high. We thank you for for your word, for your scripture that does exactly that. Thank you for the words recorded here by Luke of Peter who boldly proclaimed truth Regarding the indictment of man and the exaltation of Christ. Father, we pray this morning that you would increase your church's expectations, that you would give us anticipation to see you reveal yourself. Not only here in this place this morning through the teaching of your word, but as we move out to make disciples of all nations starting right here in our backyard. And Father, where needed, we pray that you would restore the joy of salvation. That as we see our state for what it once was and how you've delivered us through your Son, Jesus, I pray that we would respond with hearts like this man leaping joyful, praising You. I also pray that You would call some to Yourself this morning by the power of Your Spirit, doing only what You can do. Through Your Son, Jesus, the Author of life, we pray that You would grant new life this morning. Father, as I I speak and teach, I pray that You would have me speak accurately, truthfully, boldly, in a way that is encouraging and both challenging as you would see fit. We pray all this in your Son's holy name. Amen. So this morning we pick up in Acts chapter 3, and to kind of catch you up briefly, I'm just going to hit the high notes, right? So we know that Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit would come in power, that Jesus ascended after that, and after that ascension, we saw that the Holy Spirit came. And after the Holy Spirit came, all of a sudden the, the, the apostles started speaking in languages that every man could, could understand, in foreign languages that they, had, they didn't understand. These Galileans, how are they speaking in ways that we can understand? Peter followed that great miracle with the message, his sermon at the day of Pentecost. And what we saw that day, that thousands of people, 3,000 came to salvation. Then we saw this description of the early church last week. What they devoted themselves to. And we, got, we got to this week, hopefully you, you did what Blake asked, asked you to do, to take an assessment of where we are as individuals and as a church. Chapter 3 opens with a description of a normal day in Jerusalem. Peter and John, the two close friends, two instrumental leaders in the early church who have not completely severed ties with their Jewish heritage are on their way to the temple for the hour of prayer. Specifically here is the ninth hour. Now that would be about 3 p.m. Their days would start when the sun rose. So the ninth hour from the time of the sun rising, probably estimated around 6 a.m., 3 p.m., they're on their way to the temple understand that this was customary. This was routine. There were three different hours throughout the day devoted to prayer in the temple. The first one would be at the third hour. That would be 9 a.m. The second at the sixth hour around noon. And this third one would be the ninth hour at 3 p.m. Now this hour is also the same time that they would would, uh, perform the daily sacrifices. So it was the time, the peak hour, peak traffic coming into the temple. At this point in Luke's record, I'm not sure Peter nor John knew what was about to happen. Because you see, today would not be a normal day. In verse 2, it picks up from this, this description of a normal routine day from another perspective. This man who is not named in Scripture, we do find out that he's lame. He's been lame from birth. Later on in Acts, uh, Acts 4.22, we learn that this man has been alive, crippled for over 40 years. He cannot walk. And again, we're told in words that describe a a daily routine that he was being carried to be laid at the gate of the temple in what was known as the beautiful gate, as he was every day of his life. Now understand that in this day, there wasn't much that a man of his condition could do. We've been blessed. Technology has has really changed a lot for what a crippled person could do in our day. But here, you're required to do manual labor. You're required to be able to walk. There's no way, there's nothing on wheels to move around with. And so this man's state was hopeless. It was helpless. Every single day that he woke up, he woke up to the reality that, yes, nothing's changed. And so he did what he did every day. He was carried, dependent upon others, to bring him, to be laid in front of his gate, his spot in the world, to beg for merciful charity. This gate, this beautiful gate, we don't have a lot of knowledge about what this was, but it was for sure large, 75 feet high. It would take 20 people, 20 men, to close this gate. It was really ornate, covered in brass and gold. That's his spot. One of the things that I enjoy doing ever since we moved into this building is I enjoy moving around and messing up your spots. On Sunday mornings, I did it this morning. It's the first time I've sat there. I had to bump this whole crew over. I think a couple of weeks ago y'all were bumped over here. I lo- I love seeing that. But we're so fixed, right? We have our routines. Here on Sunday morning, you expect to come in here and sit in your spot. This man expected to be laid at this gate and do exactly what he did every single day asking for people to give him money this location and time of day would have been optimal for him. Because you see, this gate was in the court of the Gentiles. And the further you moved into the temple, it became more and more exclusive. So this is the high traffic point. It's a perfect spot for somebody like him, right? Of all people, who should be the most generous to give? Those who are entering the temple. Whether it be out of pure generosity or out of a, a desire to prove their piety right before they enter in. So he parked himself right there. Smart man. So we find him in chapter 2 in front of that gate doing the only thing that he can do. Begging. What do you think his expectations were that day? Do you think they were any different? I don't imagine so. In fact, You see, every single day for around 40 years, we don't know exactly, it says he was over 40 years old, at some point in his life, this became routine for him. And every day he would wake up to the helpless and hopeless reality that was his life. But in order to keep living, without any other way to make a day's share, he allowed his lack of dignity to be laid bare and be carried to this gate to ask for charity. In verse 3, we see that seeing Peter and John as they are about to enter into the temple, seeing Peter and John among the thousands that would have been walking through that day, he asked them for a charitable gift. This is an ordinary moment in an ordinary day. But then the routine is broken. Look at chapter 4. I want let's read verses chapter 3. Let's read verses 4 through 10 again. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, "Look at us." And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, "I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you." In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. In verse four, it says, Peter and John directed their gaze at this man. That word that's used there for the gaze is the same word that was used as they gazed at Jesus after he ascended. They are fixed On this man. It is important to point out that this man was seen that day. That Peter and John saw him. A man who was ignored, a man who was often neglected, was seen. Had we been in Jerusalem that day, I wonder how many of us would have seen him. I wonder how many of us would have walked right past him, like the thou- other thousands that did on our way into the temple. I wonder this morning how many of us drove by a crowd, a couple, or one. You see, that, it was really significant that it was this one man. I, I thought that was so interesting. We're coming off the heels of a, a mass revival where Peter preaches the gospel and 3,000 people come to faith, but yet they also see the one. And they stop. Now understand, I don't know why they stopped. Because you see, in a city this large, more than likely, Peter and John had walked by several beggars that day. And we know because all the people recognize him as that one. He's the guy that sits outside at that gate. More than likely, Peter and John have walked by this man many times, but this day, according to the preordained plan of God, possibly because of the Holy Spirit that they are now filled with, their eyes are opened and they see this man, they see him where he is, and they stop And Peter tells him, "Look at us." Peter wants to make sure that he has his attention. Now, whether or not the man avoided eye contact out of the shame that he was in in that moment, or whether he had just moved on to the next passers-by, asking for money. For those of you in sales, anybody in sales, there's a, there's a principle called the law of large numbers. If you ask enough people, eventually you'll get a yes. And so, maybe he had just moved on. He saw them, hey, can I have some money? And then moved on to the next one, because the more people he asked, the more likely he would get some money. But Peter stopped him and he said, look at us. Peter made sure that he had his attention. In verse 5, the man fixed his attention on Peter and John. And what does it say? Expecting to receive something from them. Something that he was used to receiving. Church, I have to ask what does the world expect from us? What do they expect us to offer? What have we conditioned the world to expect? Have we conditioned the world to expect the cold exchange of our spare change in our cars? Have we conditioned the world to expect judgment, shame, condemnation? Have we conditioned the world to expect love, the love of Christ, mercy, grace, and forgiveness? Have we conditioned the world to expect that we're not just going to throw something at them and keep walking on by in our our ordinary lives, but that we're going to stop and we're going to get in where they are, meet them where they are, and help them. Give them that hand to help them up. Walk with them into the temple. This man had grown accustomed to receiving charity from God's people. Nothing more. I love this. The word but. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Now that statement by itself would have left this man incredibly frustrated. Angry, likely. Why would you go out of your way to make sure that you had my attention to say, Hey bud, look. I don't have anything. But it didn't stop there because there was something more. Because Peter knows he's got something far more valuable to offer this man. What does Peter have? The power of Christ. That is key. The power of Christ that was granted to him to heal that specific man on that specific day. You see, this was no routine day. Because God intervened and broke up the routine. He says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Some observations. He didn't lay hands on them. I don't see a prayer, I don't see oil. I don't see some of these things that many of us have become accustomed to to seeing as part of a healing process uh, of those who, who, who declare that they have the gift of healing. I don't see any of that here. All I see is the power of Christ being revealed and proclaimed. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. And then Peter gives him. He helps him up by his right hand. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. That's Dr. Luke coming in. Let me give you a little medical term. Let me point out the anatomy of the body. His feet and his ankles were made strong. Then look at verse 8. It says, And leaping up, this man who was lame from birth, and he leaps up, he stands, and he began to walk. And where did he go? Into the temple. This man had been parked outside of the temple his whole life. And he follows Peter and John into the temple. And he's not walking around in the religious monotony as everyone else that day. He's he's garnering attention. Because what do we see him doing? How does it describe him? Leaping. He's the crazy guy in church jumping up and down because he's excited. He's got joy. All the, everybody else is just like, that's weird. Why is he so happy? This is the result of the power of Jesus Christ, not Peter, but Christ. And when the power of Christ takes its transformational effect, how can the response be anything but what the response that was put forth that day? Joy. Joy. Gladness. Praising God. Church, I ask you, is this your response today? When you walked through those doors, you know, I didn't really see anybody jumping up and down. That's okay. But in your spirit, were you excited? When you woke up today, were you you anticipating something great? Were you in celebration of what God has already done on your behalf? Or were you like the thousands that piled in that day? Following their religious duties. Going to the temple for the hour of prayer. Coming into church this morning because that's what we're supposed to do. Have you lost your joy? You do realize that We are the crippled man in this story, right? That we were the ones that had the hopeless and helpless estate. That our spiritual condition was far worse than his physical. But God did something special. in each and every one of us who have declared that we are following Jesus Christ no matter what the cost is, we have committed our lives to following Him, trusting in His atoning work on the cross, for you to even do that, a miracle happened. Have we forgotten that? Have we lost the joy that comes from that? If so, I would encourage you to, to search. Are you... Joyful when you come into this place. And if you immediately start thinking, well, no, but it's because I have to see so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so and so and we got this issue going on, and our community group has a lot of... We're, we haven't met for the last couple of weeks because so-and-so keeps dropping the ball. They keep putting other priorities above myself. I would ask you to consider what plays out horizontally is an effect of what's going on vertically. If your immediate response is to think, well, I'm not joyful because it's somebody in the church there's probably a heart issue that you need to examine, that you need to pray for the Holy Spirit to to reveal to you. Because what God has done on your behalf in the name of Jesus Christ was a miracle. And we should have joy. As you can imagine, they recognized this man after seeing him running around jumping up and down in celebration wondering well who is this weird cat they realize wait a minute that's the guy from the beautiful gate that's the he's the one that's always asking for money and look there's no skepticism here <laughs> later on what we're going to see is this is declared as undeniable unopposable it's not like oh he's been lying to us for the last 30 years They recognize what God has done. Like, this is crazy. This man's leaping. This man's walking. And so their response is they go and run after Peter and John. I don't, because this guy's clinging to them right now, right? For those of you who have ever, uh, if you're a baby Christian today, more than likely you clung to whoever it was that was instrumental in bringing you to faith. For me, it was my dad. My dad was instrumental in pointing me to the word. That's a little bit easier for somebody to cling to. But as a youth pastor, I experienced that because there were people who came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and trusted in Him in our youth group. And whenever I left, it was like ripping something apart. Our tendency is to cling. Whether or not this man was clinging to them because he thought that, well, they're the source. And if they leave me, maybe I'll go cripple again. I've got to stay near them. But he followed them. And so everybody crowds around Peter and John in what's called Solomon's portico. And this portico is kind of like an open porch area. What a perfect opportunity for a sermon. Coming off the heels of this miracle. Because it's the same, same pattern that we saw in Acts chapter 2, right? Right? You see a miracle occur where the Holy Spirit enables those men to speak in languages that other people could, could understand. Languages that they had never spoken before. So what does Peter do? Man, I'm preaching the gospel today. Peter, going about his business, his daily routine, sees this man and says... Stand up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he walks. And I don't know what Peter's response was. Peter had faith in Christ. That's that's the faith that's talked about there. Faith in the name of Christ was not the man's. It was Peter's. So he clearly had faith and believed that that man would stand up and walk. But he probably thought, man, that was pretty cool. (laughs) And then this crowd gathers around him and Peter says, all right, let's do this. Men of Israel... And he starts laying out the gospel. When he does this, he puts forth six indictments of man to point out to this crowd that they are spiritually hopeless and helpless, just like that man was physically. And then he exalts Christ in six different ways to point them to the good news of Jesus that can heal them. And then calls them to repentance. I'm not going to go verse by verse here. I'm going to point out to you those exact things. I'm going to point out to you the indictment that he gave. I'm going to point out to you the exaltation of Christ. And then we're going to spend some time saying, okay, this is what happens when you repent. The first indictment in verse 13 he says, You delivered over Jesus to be killed. Now that's bold language that so often in the church we don't hear anymore. It's softened to a degree. If we're proclaiming the gospel to people that we feel are not believers, we kind of tiptoe around it, but Peter shoots straight. He says, you killed Jesus. You gave Him over. You'll recall from our study of John's gospel that the people who on the day of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, who cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. Days later, yelled out, crucify him. They were the ones that delivered Jesus over to be killed. Peter communicates to them that they were responsible for their actions in contributing to the death of Jesus Christ, the promised son of God. Second indictment. He says, you're worse than Pilate. You're worse than that Roman governor who oppressed this whole region of Judea. You're worse than him because remember, Pilate was ready to let him go. Go flip over to John chapter 18. It's just a couple of pages in my Bible, so it's probably a couple of pages in yours. John chapter 18, read verse 38. After Jesus having this discussion with Jesus, Pilate said to him, "What is truth?" After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. He's innocent. But the Jews didn't allow that to happen. They didn't allow him to be released. Because instead, Peter pointed them to the third indictment. If you look at verse 39 of John 18, reading through 40, Pilate said, But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? What was their response? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Luke tells us that he was a murderer as well. The third indictment is that they exchanged the holy and righteous one for a murderer. The fourth indictment is that they killed the author of life. I mean, he he says it plainly, you killed the author of life. Ironically, the one who was in the beginning and who had created all things, the author of all physical and spiritual life was killed. And Peter calls this crowd's attention to the reality that they committed this horrendous offense. The fifth indictment is that they were ignorant to the truth of God's Word. He said, brothers, I know you've acted in ignorance. And he reveals to them that they didn't understand that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the Scripture that they had. All of the Old Testament prophecy was pointing to Jesus Christ. Guys, you missed it. You acted out of ignorance. Ignorance. And he concludes his indictment with the declaration that they are wicked. You're wicked. To a crowd who had been living their lives thinking that they were superior spiritually over everyone else as God's chosen people. He calls out their evil against them. He says... Guys, you're wicked. You're evil. Such is the natural state of man. This is our natural state. Throughout Scripture, we are constantly reminded of our inability to be righteous. To be anything but wicked is outside of of our ability. That's bad news. But then the bad news always gives way in Scripture to the good news. And that's where Peter exalts Christ six different ways. In verses 12 and 16, he points out that Christ's power and name is far greater than man's. Man capable of being righteous. You don't have the power, good news. Christ's power is greater than yours. His name is greater than yours. Peter said it's not by our own power. Men of Israel, why are you looking to us? Why are you looking at us as if we are the ones who have done this? It is by the in the name of Jesus Christ, in his power, that this has been done, that this man has been healed completely, mind you. This isn't temporary. Peter points out that this is not going to go away. He is immediately and completely healed. It was by faith alone. Faith in the name of Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone that brought healing that day. Second exaltation is that Christ is glorified by the God of their fathers. This is consistent with what we see in John chapter seventeen in Jesus' prayer to his Father. John seventeen, starting in verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you Talk about glorifying. I, I mention this frequently because that's a church word. To glorify oneself means to make known who that individual is. To reveal the characteristics, the attributes of who that person is. So when Jesus... Father, glorify me. He's saying, okay, the hour has come. Let's reveal to all who I am, that I am your son. And that was made most clear At the cross. In the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who has all authority, remember from Acts chapter 1, all authority over heaven and earth, including death and in sin. That was revealed. The Father glorified Him. The third exaltation is that Christ is the holy, and righteous one. When it comes to holiness and righteousness, there is Jesus and then the rest of us. And the gap between us and him is infinite. Peter was communicating to the crowd that day that Jesus was the... I'm going to be a nerd for a second. Definite article. The... He is the holy and righteous one. That is, he is the standard. He is the definition of what it is to be holy and to be righteous. And on that day, with all of these indictments that Peter laid out before them, how you killed him, you exchanged the holy and righteous one for a murderer, you're wicked it would have been easy for them to think he is far exalted above me. The fourth exaltation of Christ is that he is the author of life. Again, borrowing from John's gospel, what we have already seen in our study from John chapter one. In the beginning was the word And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, key. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. He is the author of life. You recall as we studied verse 3 in our study of John's gospel some close to two years ago. The way that he phrased that, he created, all things were made through him. And just in case you didn't get that, nothing that was made, was made except by him. He's the author of life. Paul emphasized this as well in Colossians chapter 1. Verses 16 through 17 when he's trying to put forth, he's doing the same thing Paul was that Peter was doing that day, exalting Christ, talking about the preeminence of Christ. He says, for by him all things were created. Does all mean all? Look at the description. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The truth is, not one of us would be alive today, even physically, if not for the author of life. None of us would be here. But Jesus is not just the author of life in the physical, but also in the spiritual. It is only in Christ that life is found. If not for Jesus creating spiritual life in our naturally dead bodies, we would be like the man at the beautiful gate, hopeless and helpless in our condition. The reality is, our condition was far worse. Fifth exaltation, Christ was raised from the dead. This is key. This is one of those things that's a non-negotiable in the Christian faith. Without a resurrected Christ, our faith is dead. Without a resurrected Christ, our estate is still helpless and hopeless. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, that death was conquered that he is resurrected, that he lives today. That is what guarantees our promise of eternal life. Because he has satisfied the eternal, just wrath of God on our behalf. And he rose to life, showing that the wrath was satisfied. Peter's point was very clear. Christ is risen, and he says... And we can testify to that. We've already talked about how Jesus presented Himself to a multitude of people that were still alive in this day. You can go ask the man on the corner. He was there. You can go ask Him. He saw Him too. The sixth and last exaltation is that Christ is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and covenant promises. Verse 18, Christ suffered just as... Isaiah 53, the description of the suffering of the Messiah. He was crushed, he was pierced, like a lamb led to the slaughter. Verse 22, just as Moses had prophesied, Jesus was the prophet raised up from God, from among them, and all the prophets proclaimed the days of Jesus Christ.
1: Verse 25,
0: in the offspring of Abraham in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy. As he paid the penalty not only for Jews, but also for Gentiles, for the whole world, for those who trust in his death and in his resurrection. That was no ordinary day. The routine was broken that day. What we see, what we will see next week, 2,000 more had it that day. Because the one was seen. God intervened. God did something special that day. And from that miracle... The gospel was proclaimed. Understand that people didn't come to faith because of the miracle. Right? Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes through what? Hearing. Hearing through the word of God. The word of God was proclaimed that day and when the gospel was presented, people came to Christ. They came to trust in Him. People that had once rejected Him Denied him, killed him. Listen, you're not too far gone. I don't care where you are today. Whatever, whatever your sin is, I've got a list of them: adultery, pride, lust, gossip, murder. Whatever it would be, racism, violence, anger, you're not too far gone. That day there were thousands of people saved who had been involved, actively involved in the death of Jesus Christ. Guess what? All of us are the same. We exchange Christ every day for our own conveniences. It may not necessarily be a murderer, but guess what? When you hate your brother, you're saying, hey Christ, thank you for what you've done for me, but I'm going to hate this guy. You realize of all people, when comparison to Jesus Christ, the exalted Christ that Peter put forth that day, that you are undeserving of grace, that you are undeserving of mercy, but Christ pursued you. So if you've not trusted in Christ, understand that you are not too far off. But your sin did lead to the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Whatever it is, you're responsible for that. Because He died on your behalf if you would trust in Him. You exchange the exalted Christ daily for things and people that are unworthy of such honor. You're wicked. And I can only say that on the authority of Scripture. Understand that that's hard for me to say because I would like to soften that language a little bit. But the truth is, you are wicked. You are evil. And your estate is the same as that crippled man Hopeless and helpless. There is nothing nothing that man could do to change the fact that he couldn't walk. There is nothing you can do to change the fact that you are unrighteous, that you are wicked. At the core of who you are, you are completely opposed to God. How do I know this? Two reasons. One, because that's what God's Word says. So am I. I'm wicked. I have my list of sin. But if you haven't trusted in Christ, the only difference is my eyes have been opened to see and believe and trust in what He's done on my behalf. And that's the good news, that as hopeless and helpless as we might be, Jesus Christ came to die so that we might live. He is the author of life. He took on all of our unrighteousness and all of our shame upon himself. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, his righteousness, the very definition of what righteousness is, will be placed upon you. And the Heavenly Father will look down at you and say, I'm satisfied. Just like that crippled man that day who went from a a normal routine day to a moment that changed his eternity, you too can find healing for your brokenness. But only in Christ. It won't be in these people in this room. It won't be in a church. It won't be in in an institution it is only in Christ. If you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you to the Lord, would you surrender that fight? Would you, would you commit yourself to giving in to that and following Jesus? Because if you will, I want to point you to verses 19 through 21. Peter told that crowd, repent therefore, Hopefully, your mind has been renewed today. Through the renewal of the mind, repentance can happen, where you reorient your mind to not think as highly of yourself as Christ, for who He is far exalted among above you. Therefore, turn from your sin, turn back to the Father that chose you as a nation of Israel in this case. And so I declare to you today, turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ who came on your behalf, who came for you. You're the one that He sees. Peter says, if if you do that, number one, your sins may be blotted out. That when they would write on parchment, they would use this type of ink that would just sit on the page. And then they would be able to. Kind of like our dry erase board that we write on in our our Bible study methodist class. They would be blotted out. That whatever your list of sins are, trust in Jesus Christ, your sins are gone. Because Christ took care of it. Secondly, you will find refreshment from the presence of the Lord. That is so important. And for those of you who have trusted in Christ, I hope you're listening. I hope you're not saying, oh, this isn't for me because I already trusted. Because the gospel has to take effect in your heart today, too. Hopefully, refreshment from the presence of the Lord. For any who in Christ, that's what you'll find. You don't have to worry anymore. There's nothing Instead, refreshed. Lastly, the second coming of Christ to restore all things. You will be a participant in that and you will experience the full restoration. Whatever war is going on inside of you, it will be gone. That war of sin in your heart will be removed. You will be fully glorified. heavens and the new earth will be established and there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. Instead we will reign forever with our King and Savior Jesus Christ. Repent therefore and find that. For those who have trusted in Christ what does this world expect of us? What, What do we have to offer this world? Do we live each day in anticipation of what God's going to do. Are we eagerly expecting God to do something miraculous in and through our lives every single day? Because He can. He can't do it. This week I was trying to put this into practice. Something happened out of the blue, Thursday night. I got a text and something happened Friday that I was really looking forward to. Praying out of expectation for what might happen. It didn't go the way I planned. Does that mean that I stop expecting? Because see, that's some of the some of the reason why I think maybe some of it stopped. Because before thinking God was about to do something and then he didn't do it the way we thought he was going to, so we just All right, well, I'm going to just walk into the temple today. What do we have to offer the world? We have the good news of the immediate, complete healing that is there in Jesus Christ. The power of Christ that's infinitely more valuable than any silver or gold that we could offer. And I hope this morning that what you've seen is that this good news for the world is also good news for us. And if you've been struggling with joy, I hope that as you, and and when we get into this time of prayer pretty soon, I hope that you can meditate on this, that Jesus Christ died for you. That your estate was hopeless. Your estate was helpless. You couldn't do anything. You were dead. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, open your eyes to see the truth, the glorious truth of Jesus Christ. That He sought you. That He's pursued you. That He died for you. That He rose to life. And you can live eternally with Him. That He loves you. If you don't feel loved right now, He loves you. I hope that brings you joy. So as we go into this time of worship, I pray that it would be just would be a.: Crippled man. I'm okay if you jump up and down. Celebrate. Celebrate what Jesus has done on your behalf. That's what we do when we sing songs of praise. When we say we want to see Jesus lifted high in the words of our songs, do you really mean that? Do you see him lifted high? We're going to sing a song today that I love, a hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Riches don't need them because my inheritance is in Christ. That's a celebration. I hope that this morning if that's where you are, that your joy may be restored in the salvation that we through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Forgive us when we don't uh, give proper exaltation to your Son Jesus. Forgive us when we don't expect much from you. Forgive us when we communicate to the world the false truth of what we have to offer, of what they should expect from us. Thank you, Jesus, for seeing us. For leaving the eternal glory that you shared with your Father and coming down, taking on flesh and dying. Father, We see in Scripture that, yes, man is responsible, but we also know that your Son laid down his life. Jesus, thank you for that sacrifice that you've made on our behalf. This morning, in response to this teaching, we pray that you would be exalted, Jesus. Father we ask by the power of your holy spirit that where needed that you would restore joy the joy of our salvation. Respond in this with hearts overflowing overflowing with the freedom that you you've given us. Thank you for bringing healing into our brokenness. For rescuing us out of our hopeless and helpless condition. Let the praise from our lips this morning glorify you and honor you. And Father, we we also pray if there would be anyone in this room right now that you are drawing to yourself, I pray that you would effectually call them to you. That you would open up their eyes to see the indictment of man. To recognize the fact that all of us are naturally sinners. That includes them as the individual. But that your son paid the price should they trust in his atoning work. Would you glorify yourself this morning to that individual or individuals? Would you reveal yourself to them so that they may know you as Father? We pray all of this in the glorious name, powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ.